Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hedge Assad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everybody. I almost stumbled on the journalist, which would have made me restart the whole intro all over again. But I didn't. I held it together. Why did you stumble? Because you're not sure whether we're journalists or whether I'm a journalist. Because I was considering calling you a dreamer in addition to a journalist. Or a raconteur. (laughs) Yes, because you told me to ask you about a dream you had recently about vehicles. So you're like an automotive dreamer. That's what you are. Friends, I had an unusual dream last night. Oh, goodness. Why are we doing this on a public space? I was driving. In this dream, I was driving a C8 Corvette. And it was really, really slippery. I mean, like, very low friction conditions. And in the dream, I got out of the car. And I don't know why this happened, but I used (laughs) my foot to push away from the car. Like, I put my foot on the rocker panel. And instead of pushing myself away from the car, the car slid across a parking lot and into like a metal pole, like a low metal pole, and just cracked up the front fender and a wheel. And immediately, I thought this, my dreams, I don't know if it's, I don't know how interested people are in this, but for me, my dreams are very real. It feels like they're, I'm actually living them and everything is happening. It's it's not really an abstract sensation for me. And so in the dream, I'm like, how am I going to explain this? Like, how am I going to tell Chevrolet that I just drop kicked a C8 across a parking lot and smashed it up? And I was really upset and concerned in the dream. And then I woke up and it took me a while to realize I hadn't smashed up a C8 and everything was fine in my life. Okay, so listen, were you like living it? Do you think you were trying to live out some sort of anime music video dream? No, or something? I think it was like, like, you know, that really bad James Bond movie where he has the invisible Z8 and, yeah. they, and they're on like a glacier. Is I think that, it's a DB, DBS, or DBS, like whatever that. it was, where like, yeah, I guess he rolls down the window and you see his head and it's really dumb. It was kind <laughs> of like that. It was like a giant, I guess, icy expanse that for some reason had a pole. I see. And you know what? Good on you, because most of my dreams, I have great, I have such good grip. I have so much traction in my in my driving dreams. Um, it's just great to hear contrast, really. Well, I'm sorry we can't all live up to your standards. No, no, it's not a standard. Even really. when I'm un- uh, unconscious, I'm failing you, Sammy. <laughs> wow, you sound like my parents. Um, okay, <laughs> listen, that's the uh, that's the lucid dreaming of Benjamin Hunting. He's an automotive journalist. You can find his work all over the internet. Ben, give him some give him some links. Sure, you can find my work at Car and Driver, at Motor Trend, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, Driving.ca, and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, don't you have a, another Kickstarter going on this, this month or that next month? That is correct. So we it's not actually started yet, but if you go to deadaircomic.com, you can sign up on the upcoming project page and be notified when we launch on January 30th, which is a Tuesday, and we're doing it at 8 a.m. It is the second issue of Dead Air, which is my comic book about – that mixes, I guess, 90s comic – 90s comic radio – 90s college radio with a future where one day out of the year you can talk to the dead. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, head on over to deadaircomic.com, sign up, and we're going to have the second issue. And the first issue will, of course, also be available if you're just getting started. I know a lot of you supported the comic book the previous time around, and I really appreciate that. And we're very excited to get this new issue in your hands, too. Studio Alpaca. That's right. Studio Alpaca Productions. I love it. Um, ben, we've got some. We've got a car to talk about this week and some pretty weird uh, automotive news. I think we should connect... Um, on the car that you've been driving recently. 
So I spent some time in the, I guess, 2024 Range Rover or Land Rover Range Rover Sport. Now, longtime listeners will will realize that almost exactly one year ago, I was also driving a Range Rover Sport, the redesigned model. There are some differences this time around, though, because I live in a very, very different place versus where I was living the first time I drove it. Right. And now that I'm in a more rural part of the world, particularly one that is a microclimate that sees a lot of snow because of the mountains, I am reevaluating a lot of the vehicles that I have driven. So when I get something like a Range Rover Sport, Sammy, it's kind of great because I get to test out stuff that maybe I wouldn't normally in an urban environment. Right. I think that makes sense. And uh, what do you think about this? What, what, how how different actually are your environments now when you when you talk about it? Well, yesterday I used my battery powered snowblower to clean my entire driveway, and then I woke up this morning and it was all for nothing because another <laughs> two or three inches of snow had fallen in the night and wiped out all my progress. So that's the kind of thing I'm dealing with. The other thing is I live on a part of the road that goes to my house is dirt, so you get like a mile of non-dirt road and then a half mile of dirt road. And I think we talked about this last week on the podcast, but for some reason, the plow trucks just stop when they get to the dirt part and turn around. So when I wake up in the morning, um, and and, I'm thankful for every morning that I get to wake up, Sammy, let's not... Let's not be flippant about the the joy and the gift that is life. Especially when you're having dreams of crashing cars. Yeah. Well, I mean, wrecking more than crashing. But uh, the there's there's I, I get up in the morning and I have to do my best to get to a plowed part of the road. So I'm going to be driving through like sometimes six inches of snow, and a vehicle like the Range Rover makes that a lot easier. Gotcha. Um, how exactly? Well, it has something called ground clearance. Yeah, uh-huh. Which allows you to float over the snow, as it were, uh, and not drag parts of the chassis through it. It has standard... Come on, every SUV has ground clearance. Nah, I don't Even know. every, like, faux SUV has Do ground clearance. Do they, though? Clearance. Do they? What's the ground clearance on a Solterra? I'd be really curious to hear that. <laughs> I'll find it for you. You keep telling people what's going on, but I'll find it for so you. It also has uh, four-wheel drive as standard equipment. You cannot get a rear-wheel drive Land Rover or Range Rover or any kind of Rover um, that's sold in North America. They are all four-wheel or at very least all-wheel drive. Oh, it's massive. 7.3 inches. Massive. That's that's <laughs> massive to you. What is it on the Range Rover Sport? Uh, let's find out. I'm going to say 8.5. Shouldn't you know this? You're reviewing the car. Yeah, but I'm testing you. I'm testing your research skills in the moment. I'm going to say it's 8.5 inches. Oh, I'm getting it in, in metric. It's <laughs> Oh, no. It's <laughs> tricky. Add up. It's tricky, though, Sammy, because the Range Rover that I drove had air suspension. So eight you, inches. Eight inches. But is that the solid steel suspension or is that the air so, suspension? Yes. Because you can drop it quite a bit. And in fact, when you get out Up of the... Up to 11.1, jeebus. Oh, all right. So suddenly you're impressed. <laughs> That's, That's what lot. it takes. 11 inches is what it takes to impress you. All right. There you go. Oh, great. So when you get out of the Range Rover, it drops from its 11 inches down to a more manageable, I don't know, I would say five inches. And it makes it really easy to get in and out. It makes it easy to load the car. And unlike other vehicles that have the same feature, it doesn't make a ton of scary noises for no reason. <laughs> I know it's it's, it's very funny. true. It's funny to say, but there's so many vehicles now that have either an adjustable suspension or a battery system that requires cooling. And mm-hmm. when you get out of them, they make these like it's like <laughs> it's like when they would land the Millennium Falcon yeah. in Star Wars and like 
blasts of air and weird sounds are coming out of it as they're walking away. That's the modern driving experience, even for luxury cars. So for the, the Range Rover Sport does not do that. It's like a very muted kind of sigh as it kneels down. Interesting. I found that the regular Range Rover, the full-size Range Rover, was doing that whenever I would get out, and it would make a massive amount of noise. It was quite scary, like you said. It's not like a carnival ride, like uh, with all the like air ma- air sounds. Carnival rides are terrifying because you just know no one has maintained that ride in like at least five years. And, yeah, you know. It stops and it's shaking and there's steam coming out and the person who's operating it is on their phone and also eating a sandwich and also half in the bag. It's like – anyway. Um, uh, I always thought that carnival rides would just move from one space to the other. I think what happens with carnival rides is they're – you buy it. You use it until someone is horribly injured <laughs> yeah. and then you sell it to pay for the lawsuit that results from that injury and then the next person repeats the cycle. So there's just one injury at a time per per owner. There's really just one of those giant crazy carpet like or <laughs> or a spit. What do they call it? The the ship, the pirate ship thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's just one of those in the world, and it just moves from like lawsuit free company to lawsuit free company. That's what I thought. That's what I always believed. But back to the Range Rover, I mm-hmm. drove a P400 SE Dynamic. Now. <laughs> Sure, that makes sense. That's helpful. There's Thank nothing. You. There's nothing. Don't try to parse that into anything that makes sense. I'm gonna say maybe in England where the power ratings are a little bit different, it might make sense. In North America, you're getting 395 horsepower from a three liter turbocharged i6. None of those numbers have the word four in them. Uh, and or correlate has, to any of the information on that on that trim lane. No, right? there is one four, and that's the 48 volt mild hybrid system. Yeah. But you can get that in the same engine, which is slightly detuned for the P360, I think it's called. Uh, again, not really that descriptive in North America. So ignore the meaning of the number. Um, what's important is there's the this engine is available, like I said, in two tunes. And then it jumps up to a uh, there's a, a plug-in hybrid version with this motor. There's a plug-in hybrid V8 version, I believe, that has 542 horsepower. And then there's something that just came out this year. It's like the SV, which has 626 horsepower, Sammy, which is a lot of power from an ICE vehicle these days. Definitely. That's a ton. Uh, Most people are expecting those EVs to put out that kind of horsepower, but out of a V8 or a, sorry, it's a V8, yes? Um, Yeah, that's called a V8. Sorry, I I, I misspoke earlier. There's not a, a... plug-in v8 version of the drivetrain there's the plug-in no. version of the drivetrain is this this engine that's 542 horsepower because it has the additional electric motor so that, that that's a mistake the v8 version was renamed the sv for this year not renamed but like they got rid of the standard v8 version they used to have something called yeah. the p530 again i don't know why um and now they have the sv which has the 600 uh man when automakers change the nomenclature of either their trim levels or anything, uh, it just becomes nonsense. And like I just want to just... point out this is happening like one year after this vehicle came out. Like it was yeah. redesigned in 2023. And then in 2024, they're like, let's change a whole bunch of names. So that's but always J- JLR loves to change their names. I mean, I was driving earlier today and I got passed by, a, uh, I think, a J- an XE. I remember the XE. Mm. And it had a trim level that was 35T. And I was like... I remember that, that. I don't think they called them that anymore, right? I don't think the XE's been around for a while. <laughs> okay, great. That thing's, that thing's been MIA for a few years. You really think so? 
when's I, I bet if you went to the Jaguar site, you would not be able to build an XE. I'm going right now. There's no way. I think the XF. Do you think is they still, only have like two cars on sale? No, the I pace and the the XF is still available. F-Pace? The F pace, the I pace, and the F type. Okay. But I think that's it. I don't think the I don't even think the XJ is still around. I think that's done too. XF. That's as far as they go. Yeah. So sad. I mean. So what are the trim levels on the XF? Aren't they just a bunch of weird numbers too? How am I supposed to know that? It changes every year. I can't keep up. <laughs> that's the why. Why does this keep happening? Um. Getting back to the vehicle I did drive and not the vehicles that no longer exist. Uh, the, the, so, you know, almost 400 no, horsepower. No, no, we have to talk. I have to talk about the trim levels of this car. Do you? This is the XF. It's called the R Dynamic SE P300 all wheel drive. Wow. The all next 100 years? It's all, it's all of them. Okay, go ahead. So, almost 400 horsepower. It's a vehicle that is reasonably quick, but not super quick. I think it's like in the five second range to 60, or if not, it's right around there. Yeah, this is the straight six, right? Yeah, so like the base model. It's very good. The base model does 5.7 to 60, which is fine. But considering that it costs like $86,000, that's not, or sorry, $85,000 for the base model. It's not particularly overwhelming. The P400 is somewhat quicker. But it's a ninety-two thousand dollar vehicle. You're paying. It's it's a pretty big jump to get to it. Um, I found I found that the okay. I'm I'm diving to these numbers even more, Sammy. That <laughs> that hybrid version, the plug-in hybrid, it's four point seven. And in order to get that, you need to spend a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Now, the reason I'm kind of like just <laughs> okay. grooving on these zero to sixty numbers right now is because. One of the th- I'm always comparing luxury SUVs in this class to the X5, which is kind of the gold standard in terms of how many different versions there are, how fast they are, and how well they handle. Mm-hmm. And this vehicle does not really match up well with the X5 based on performance. It's not as fast. It doesn't handle quite as well. Like this vehicle feels large. When I there's a 90 degree turn to get into my driveway. And it's kind of coming down and around a corner, like downhill around a corner in the snow. So I have to snow down, slow down quite a bit. And when I do that, it just feels like I was turning this like large battleship style vehicle into my driveway. That's not normally a feeling I get in a luxury SUV. This is a very, very specific. Usually they have like a a rear wheel steering or something like that, right? You can get a rear wheel steering with that. I don't believe my model had it. But uh, if it did, it didn't make that much of an impact. There's a special package that you can add as a high-performance package for the uh, Range Rover Sport. Okay. It just doesn't have the same kind of, I guess, high-performance cachet that the BMW does. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because... I, I Okay, go ahead. I don't think every vehicle needs to have that. I don't need every SUV that I drive to feel athletic. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that? I agree with you to a point, but this is the Range Rover Sport. The Sport, which I think used to be really um, more road-oriented than the other, the full-size Range Rover. That was my impression of that na- of that name and that trim level. Um, and the size of the vehicle used to be smaller than the full-size. So to, there, a part of me just wants it to be a little bit more engaging. So if you were to look at 
I think that what what Land Rover does is they're not necessarily trying to go head to head with the Germans in terms of performance because they're certainly not going head to head in terms of pricing. Remember how I said this was like ninety two thousand dollars, roughly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you look at the BMW lineup, that's more expensive than the turbocharged V8 version of the X5 Oof. by like a few okay. thousand. And I think that what Land Rover is going for, in, and that's a 523 horsepower vehicle, right? Yeah. Um, I think what Land Rover at 4.2 seconds to 60, which is, again, faster than even the plug-in hybrid version, which is 4.7 and another, you know, $20,000 roughly. So... You, you kind of have to wipe that out of your mind when you're comparing these vehicles and instead look at things that are, I guess, intangible to the Land Rover brand that you're not going <laughs> to yeah, have. The, yeah, you have to buy the intangible things when you're buying. Well, I think Land Rover has always tried to sell us on the intangibles, wouldn't you say? Uh, I mean, they have to. That's my biggest point here. It's like, if you're not the most afford- if you don't have like one of the superlatives in this, in this uh, industry, you have to sell people on something that is intangible like you just said um and i think yeah with jlr and with range rover in particular they're looking at selling you on the idea of the ability of going off-road with confidence and with technology right yeah that's right i mean this is a vehicle that is stuffed with off-road features that you are never going to use uh this thing has wade sensing which i i think uses it, it it has a graphic on the center of the screen i was trying it out i obviously didn't go wading in the winter <laughs> with this vehicle <laughs> but it shows you i guess where the water is in relation to the cabin um it has tons of off-road pages that give you information about the angle of the vehicle you know front rear side to side it has uh, many different terrain selections that will manage the all-wheel drive system, sorry, four-wheel drive system. It will manage the power output, the electronic stability control in order to try to get you from A to B through whatever happens to be in the way. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, it has that the, the, the 11 inches of ground clearance if you want it from the air suspension. It's a ton of stuff that is always been in Land Rover's pocket and they stuff it into pretty much all of their vehicles. I don't think that 90% of owners use it, but I do think they care that it's there and it's something that they can kind of fall back on if their BMW friends are bragging about horsepower and streamlined speed. And that's what most people do anyway. Not, yeah. I wouldn't say brag, but I mean... Um, look, I mean, I don't know. To me, when you, when you want to, when you buy something, when you're spending that much money on something, it has to be at the top of the list in some way or another. Do you know what I mean? Well, what does the, what does top of the list mean to you though? Because we're still talking about a mid tier SUV, like in the luxury world. But I mean, an X5 is, you know, an exceptionally luxury, luxurious vehicle. So you're saying people can only buy... The, the X5. That's in, what I'm saying. You know, yeah. Buy the best thing in the class. Some people, <laughs> that's what I'd like. I'd like something, and it may not. Like what I'm saying is, it might not be in, in terms of performance or fuel efficiency or space. Um, it might be with technology. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out where that fits in. Here. Well, it's it's clearly it, capability. It's, it's clearly off road. I mean, okay, you're buying the. It's like people who are buying the Wrangler. The Wrangler sucks in a lot of ways. But it's very good in other ways, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're on that side of the spectrum where you like having this image of off-road ruggedness and you like the people knowing that about you just by looking at the Land Rover, then I would say that's that's the appeal. Um, there's other aspects of the vehicle that I think... I mean, before we go away from the off-road stuff, I want to say that not only did I deal with you know unplowed roads and whatnot, I also drove through a blizzard... 
uh, in the night on we, we've had really weird weather here we've had a lot of windstorms snowstorms and rainstorms like typically within a very short period of time so conditions can change rapidly and I was coming back home on a trip that saw me driving for about 35 40 miles on a highway and then I switched to secondary roads and it was just crazy snow the whole time I didn't actually slow down on the highway I drove my usual 70 75 miles an hour and I had no trouble with traction in the Range Rover Sport. I actually put it in snow mode to see if it would make a difference. And it kind of back, you know, it backs off the throttle and it, it makes things a little less abrupt. So it's harder to destabilize the vehicle. But uh, overall, I was pretty impressed and I felt very safe in the vehicle. So that, that was that was nice as well. I, I also want to, you know, we're talking pricing. I haven't mentioned the Canadian pricing for the vehicle yet. Okay. But um the version that I drove, I believe it. I mean, it starts in Canada at one hundred and sixteen thousand, which is a lot higher than the U.S. price. And I believe the version I drove was around one hundred and twenty-two thousand as a starting. Wow! Holy moly! That's a lot of money. That's a ton. Um, so you mentioned that uh, there are times when the vehicle feels a little big. There, there are times when the the vehicle feels fairly quick, but not you know mind-blowingly fast. Um, are there times when the vehicle feels spacious or like ultra comfy or, um, ultra luxurious? It does feel quite comfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, it has a more restrained interior than you might expect from a luxury vehicle. And do you like that? The minimalist kind of design? I I wouldn't go so far as to call it minimalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did like it. I thought it was well appointed. They have updated the, um, infotainment they've been updating the infotainment nearly every year over the last little while it was okay i had no real issues with it what i didn't like so much what before i get to what i didn't like so much i like the gauge cluster it was pretty easy to configure it to show the things i wanted to see and that's not always a given when you're talking about these vehicles what i didn't like though was the center console has the it's like that single piece of plastic where the buttons are kind of touch sensitive yeah and in Land Rover products, you have to really push them hard in order for them to detect that you're trying to use them. And even then, you have to sometimes push two or three times. That is not a great experience from a luxury <laughs> standpoint. If you're wearing gloves, you can't use them at all. It's a lot harder. Yeah. But even with just you know a bare hand, it's, it's tough to use. The other thing that was annoying about it was, you know, it's winter, it's cold. I want to use the heated seat. So there's a heated seat button. You push that button and then it actually brings up the screen on the infotainment display for the seats and seat controls. And then I have to push another button on the screen to turn it on or off sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes I did. And sometimes it would default to cold first, which is odd because it was like below freezing outside. But it should not be that many steps. Like I've just said so many things to you. That really that should, should just be a single button. The conversation problem. should have ended when I said I pushed the button and I get yes. the heated seats. So agreed, very much agreed. Um, tell me more. What's the what about um, the design? Actually, it's it's got a fairly fresh design. I think it. I think still it looks, looks great. Brand new. I think it looks really good. It it's sharp. Uh, I actually parked it next to an X5 when I was at the gym, and the BMW looked a little dated. Or if not necessarily dated, just not as individual as the Land Rover. And part of that is probably because I see so many more BMWs than I see Land Rovers. (laughs) And uh, that's going to help keep your design fresh, but that's not necessarily the best sales strategy. Okay, yeah. There's one last thing I want to talk about about the vehicle that was frustrating. There is a... So in Britain, there are a ton of speed cameras, right? 
and they use a lot of photo radar. They have this system in pretty much every Jaguar Land Rover vehicle called Limit, and it's a really easy way to set a speed limit so that you can't drive faster than a certain amount, even right. if you push yes. the pedal down. You have to yeah. really, really kick it to get past that. So in the Range Rover, that button is combined with the cruise control for activating it. If there's another way to activate cruise control, I couldn't find it. So what would yeah. happen was I would push the button. Sometimes it would activate cruise control and sometimes it would do the exact opposite and activate the limit. And I would have to futz around with the button until I got to what I wanted. And that's not a luxurious experience. Like no, maybe remove that feature from the North American vehicles. You don't like it. No, um, it's, it's, I've it's also not, not found. I've also not found. It's not that I don't like it. I just don't think it requires the like it's up front. Like it's like that's the feature you need to have on the steering wheel right now that I will in, never use. Exactly. To me, I'm like maybe once in a in in a year I will probably use that feature. Yeah. Um. What else do you feel about this vehicle? Are you uh, are you super high on it? Do you think it sits there with the with the BMWs and the Lexuses and the Genesis? So in terms I've... of uh, luxury SUVs. It, I like the vehicle. I think the pricing puts it in a difficult position. I think this is clearly a more luxurious vehicle than any Lexus SUV I've ever been in. It just has more presence. Uh, it it feels better built. I don't know, better built. It feels it feels upscale in a way that I think a lot of Lexus SUVs have difficulty achieving. I don't think they're in the same conversation. But when you get mm-hmm. to the Germans. And you start looking at pricing, obviously, you know, the BMW, you're going to have to add a lot of features and that's going to jack up the price. You you have to want the Range Rover in order to make it make sense. It has to be a conscious decision that you're making. I don't necessarily know if it's a value decision. And then we're not even talking about the elephant in the room, which is the fact that reliability for these vehicles has historically been bad and yeah. they are difficult to own outside of warranty. And they're sometimes difficult to own inside of warranty. So these are all things you have to take into consideration. You're making a choice to be different. And that choice is going to mean fewer dealerships near you. It's going to mean potential problems. And it's going to mean paying more for potentially less performance in in certain ways while benefiting from other things that are more intangible. I like the idea of alternative vehicles. I like the idea of legitimate choice where you're not just choosing between three almost identical performers that happen to have different badges on them. So I'm glad that this vehicle exists. I would recommend people try it out if they're shopping at this price point and see how it feels to them. I'm not going to overwhelmingly recommend it. I think, again, you have to want this and you might not know if you want it until you spend some time behind the wheel. Um, I think I agree with that mainly because it's a it's an outlier in the segment, right? There's a couple of these vehicles that I think people should should, should like the default is typically um, X5 or or Cayenne or GLE, and then people then jump from those into maybe the Japanese or Korean models. But I think it's really worthwhile to check out the um, the JLR products, um, and then maybe even checking out some of the American products if if that. It's possible as well. Like if we're talking alternatives too, Genesis makes the GV80, which is fantastic. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And it, it it will do everything that the Range Rover does around town equally well, I think. And I think yep. that style-wise, they're both strong options. But you're not going to be off-roading in a GV80. You're That's not going right. to have that... Uh, you're not going to be giving off that impression to other people. And it doesn't have the same kind of badge recognition. So 
it's it's interesting that in this segment we have these two outliers. The GV80 is infinitely less expensive when you're talking about features for your money, right? Versus the the Land Rover, but the Land Rover has that cachet and that capability. So again, nice to have these choices. I think absolutely, and I also do think. Um... It's one of the few ones that, like, I've been on so many of these programs driving these vehicles, and they always have, like, an off-road course. The JLR ones, the Range Rover ones, are seriously intense. Like, they <laughs> they make the other ones seem like like child's play, yeah. like you're playing in a sandbox. I and mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but uh, the capabilities or the confidence in which they have in their vehicles really translates um, and I think that is truly what makes their their product stand out. I mean, on the same event, I've driven the Range Rover, the the, the pr- previous previous generation Range Rover. I can remember driving it with water up to the hood through a through a mud pit, and then the next day driving it through a 747 that had been hollowed out with an off-road course inside where we drove up the wall of the interior of the 747 around another Land Rover that had been placed there as a barrier, as like a barrier and an obstacle that we had to get across. So, I mean, they are serious. That's the best way to put it. And I mean, I've been on programs where the other, like I said, I've been on a BMW X5 off-road course and it was, it was good, but it was not, uh, I don't think it was as intense as the other one. And I even, there were some people who broke their vehicles, right? Like a, a feature that was supposed to work apparently didn't, um, that's downhill descent control or whatever, and, uh, ended up busting a, busting one of the products. So I don't remember that happening with the JLR, but it's just worth mentioning, I think that just how much, um, capability is really embedded in these vehicles that you may never even reach um, uh, 10% of when you during your lifetime with the vehicle, I think. So there's some other stuff that we wanted to talk about. This oh, week. yeah. There's a lot to talk about. This outside week. of Range Rovers, outside of C8 Dreams, uh, outside of Kickstarters for comic books. Uh, Sammy, what do we got? I forgot exactly what we were talking, what we were supposed to do. So I'm just going to come up with some of the ones that I've, uh, that I've found. Um, and hopefully they're what we agreed upon. One is, um, Mazda. Everyone's, um, easily forgotten about small Japanese automaker Mazda has, uh, a statement that I think they, they unleashed during the Tokyo, um, auto salon. They're saying that they're going to be launching an rotary engine development group, uh, this year. For a sports car. Sammy, a sports car. You know, a I, rotary engine sports car. You remember those? I feel like every three or four years, Mazda makes the same announcement. They either pivot between, we're going to make a rotary sports car, or we're going to make a rotary generator for hybrid vehicles that we don't necessarily market. Yeah. And neither of those things come to pass. So I'm really worried about this. <laughs> I'm really worried about this. I'm worried about this for a number of reasons. One is, like you said, it's like every three years they come up with a, an idea that has been heard before or whatever to get people to to remember that Mazda exists and make some cars. And, and used to make a rotary engine. Uh, I yeah. think it's been almost 20 years. Maybe, but fif- maybe 15. It's not, it's not just that. Mazda has had recently a pretty tough track record with its uh alternative powertrains yeah one there's the mx the as 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 easily as saying the mx30 that just came out like a few years ago is now not available anymore was totally a compliance vehicle that they over engineered um to do nothing to you know to not get over 100 miles of range um and it was i think a pretty big disappointment to, 
in the in the world of EVs. And then there's but, the, this other news that just came out this week that says that in a couple of years, Mazda is going to be using almost exclusively hardware and software systems inside their vehicles that were developed by Toyota. Yeah, this is another um, interesting point. They, I mean, I guess Mazda's um, user interfaces in their vehicles are not particularly class-leading or... I wouldn't call them super intuitive either. They kind of feel they kind of feel limited in what you can do because there's a lot of vehicles out there that have the the same rotary knob kind of controller, but they allow you to kind of like split the screen in certain ways, and they also maybe have a touch a touch screen as a redundant or more intuitive way of using them. And the Mazdas don't have that, and they feel like you can only do one thing at a time, and then you have to like scroll it around like you're dialing a, a an old school. Uh, telephone, but touch. more exist more existentially, the more Mazda gives up to larger car companies that it's partnered with in terms of vehicle development, the less relevant they will become as a small car company, as a small brand. Um, they're already they already pair up with Toyota on a number of projects, and this is just one more thing that kind of removes the reason you would buy a Mazda. I mean, I'm not saying people are buying the Mazda because of infotainment or whatever, but uh, it's. They've stuck with it for so long, and now it's just going to be wiped away. So, It's also very humorous to me to believe that of all of the automakers to team up with an infotainment system, Toyota is the one. This is a, like For almost, I think, a decade, they've had an infotainment system that felt a decade old. Um, and just recently, they've been upgrading their infotainment systems in some of their newest vehicles to be pretty modern, but not all of them, right? So there's there's one more one other thing that that caught my eye this week that I wanted to talk to you about, and that's the fact that uh, there, there's been a whole bunch of cold weather that has hit the United States over the last week or so, and a lot of that is hitting areas that are not used to extreme cold, um, specifically the the Midwest uh, and southern parts of the U.S. And it's kind of I mean we we're used to the cold up here in Canada because winter is real and we deal with it every year. But if you're not used to that, you might not know how weather can affect things like your EV's battery or its ability to charge. There was a a lot of news stories over the past week about how Tesla owners specifically were having their cars just die because they would go to a charging station with like 20% battery and they were waiting in line for the charging station. And while they were waiting, that battery ran out because yeah. it was so cold. And a lot of this comes down to education. But it's, also, it's also worth pointing out that the people who are charging are also not getting the same speeds that they're, they're no. used to getting at these fast chargers because of how cold it was. Right? Yes, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is I think that preconditioning doesn't always work well for Teslas in the cold. Some Tesla models don't have uh, heating systems that uh, don't have heat pumps that allow them to heat the cabin. So they're using a lot of battery for just HVAC while they're waiting, some of the older models. And then there's the fact that a cer- certain versions of superchargers, Tesla superchargers, I believe it's the V3 stations, um, those those are the 250 kilowatt ones. They use a liquid-cooled cable that was intended to make the cable not as thick and bulky to use. You know how... I, in, in the winter, especially, cables yeah. for charging stations can stiffen up and be hard to uh, manipulate because the rubber... And then you got to, like, line them up from what feels like a meter away. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's, like it's like you're using a spear to, like, spear electricity <laughs> into your car. But with Tesla, it goes... With these Tesla chargers, it's even more intense because the liquid inside was freezing solid. 
and they weren't able to use the stations. So some people were showing up at stations with 20% and discovering that they couldn't charge whatsoever. So this kind of created a, what ends up happening is you get a media cycle where people, you know, they see this news, oh, it gets cold, you can't use your EV, and it just feeds into disinformation about, whereas we're up here using all sorts of other EVs without any problems, you know, we're aware of the fact that it could be 20 to 30% of your battery charge can drop, similar to the inefficiency. I don't know if it's without without problems, it's about awareness, right? Like, or experience, I suppose, and it's a compromise. I've never shown up at a fast charger and not had it work because it was cold. That's like true. this is again a Tesla specific problem. So it becomes this big wide brush that paints every electric vehicle. And I, I thought that was something worth talking about. And I do think that's important to talk about, especially um because one of the biggest things, like you mentioned, the, the media cycle of just going, Oh, EVs can't do it. You don't don't waste your money or or your time on EVs. Yeah. That <laughs> isn't the case. It EVs can do it and they can have these issues, but being aware of how to um, work around them also helps significantly. Here's right? what's not newsworthy. When you go outside with like your gas tank on E or just above E in the wintertime oh, yeah. and you try to start it and you can't because the moisture inside, the condensation inside your fuel tank has frozen and your mm-hmm. fuel line is now frozen and you're going to either have to get it towed or put in some gasoline antifreeze or wait for the weather to change before you can go anywhere. They, these are problems for internal combustion cars too. The, the point is when it's very cold outside, keep gas in your tank. Keep your battery yeah. charged. And it's it's good advice, not just for you know emergency situations like this, but emergency situations where maybe the power goes out in your area and you need to get somewhere you can't charge at home anymore. And equally un- un- inconvenient is the power goes out and you can't get gas from the local gas station because they can't pump it out of the ground. You know, yeah. just if you're, if you're in a crash, we're not a crash, but you're caught on the highway because there is a crash and you're stuck Emergency, in traffic. Yeah. You want to be able to make sure your engine or motor, depending on if it's electric or gas, is going to keep running to keep you warm during that whole period. So just having a full tank, if you, I know you people, you can't always afford it. It's not all, gas prices can get crazy and it's really expensive to keep your tank topped up all the time. But in the winter, it can be a real safety issue. Absolutely. Um, one more thing as we close this week's um, podcast we mentioned, you know, being from Canada, we have some experience with the cold. There's also a stereotype with Canadians about um, about ice hockey, right? Ice hockey. I love how... So it's always been weird to me to specify ice hockey. I know. As Canadians, we have to specify ice hockey. There's only one kind of hockey, really. I mean... No, there's field hockey. There Trust field me, hockey. the Europeans tell me that there's field hockey. There is field hockey, but there also isn't field hockey, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Okay, fine. Um, so anyways, I wanted to bring this up because Hyundai has unveiled a, an exclu- a Canadian exclusive version of the 2024 Santa Fe. That's the really boxy version that you've seen um, probably back in last year's uh, auto show circuit. NHL Canada only NHL edition, which has... Tell people what the NHL is, Sammy. The NHL is the National Hockey League, I think. Yes, yes you're right. Um, it's where they play um, the big bucks, where they pay the big bucks to watch some hockey. Just before right? the podcast, Sammy tried to remember as many NHL teams as he could, and he did a very good job. That's not fair. I tried to remember the obscure ones because there's a bunch. Anyways. To Sammy, they're all obscure. <laughs> they're all obscure. Anyways, buyers um, are are able to pick their favorite team. There are 32 teams in the NHL, and that team's logo will be put on the door sills, floor mats, and cargo liner of the vehicle. And it's the first time um, it's offered an official version of a, of a vehicle connected to the Hockey League. Now, Sammy, what could possibly go wrong with this strategy? Nothing. This is great. 
I was thinking there's a couple. <laughs> I like the idea. Um, but so I'm someone who likes I'm a Carolina Hurricanes fan because I was a Hartford Whalers okay. fan when I was a kid. And I live, you know, I lived in Montreal for a long time. I still live in Quebec. No one understands this fandom, right? But if <laughs> yeah. if, if I was to order a a Hyundai Santa Fe Carolina Hurricanes edition and then try to sell that when I'm done using it, it would be to, yeah, you have to find possible. <laughs> impossible in quebec you would have to order a montreal canadians edition or you would never be able to sell that vehicle (laughs) and now i'm thinking of like what if you're a dealer and you have someone in toronto who orders a arizona coyotes version of the santa fe and then decides they don't want it and it shows up in your showroom and now you have these like sill plates with like the arizona coyotes logo on it which is a cool logo but you're never going to sell that vehicle it's going to stay there forever now, I understand there's only 500 versions of this car, uh, of the NHL edition uh, Santa Fe coming. Are you saying but- there are going to be 399 Maple Leafs versions and <laughs> yeah, 101 Canadians versions? I think it's going to be all Canadians. That's what I think it's going to be, Montreal you think Canadians. I'm all Montreal Canadians. Yeah. Um, now, the other question I had was, what happens if, are, is there any rumors of teams... Um, relocating this no not anytime soon no no okay fine (laughs) try as they might arizona even though so i I mentioned arizona and i don't mean to be look i lost my hockey team that i grew up with as a fan (laughs) they moved and it was heartbreaking and i don't wish that on anybody but i do want to point out that the arizona team is ostensibly has been owned by the league for a very long time and currently plays in something called mullet arena which is a college stadium that only has five thousand seats Wow, really? Yes. Oof, and it's not sold out every game, are they? They, they, Here's the sad thing, Sammy. They moved from another Fuller's larger arena a couple of years ago, and revenues were projected to stay the same because they weren't weren't filling the other arena. So they were like, really, it's a lateral move? That is the saddest part of the entire Arizona Coyotes saga. I love it. Um, All right, that's uh, that's all I've got this week uh, to talk about. Ben? What uh, what should we tell the folks now? How about we tell them where they can find um, our, our our latest episodes, our next episodes, and stay in, in touch with us? Just head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Um, you can see all of our previous episodes. You can see a whole bunch of ways to connect with us. There's a contact form there. When you fill out that contact form, whatever you send us lands right in our inbox, and we usually respond to it or talk about it on the next episode use that power for good everybody please do additionally you can reach out to us on social media you can find ben on the filter uh flavored world of instagram he is at hunting benjamin you can also find me on twitter or the social media network formerly called twitter i'm at sammy underscore ha like you're laughing or you can email us the old-fashioned way it's benjamin at benjaminhunting.com you can also find us, uh, as Sammy mentioned on our website, there's tons of little buttons you can click to subscribe to us on various podcatchers. Just search for Unnamed Automotive Podcast on your favorite uh, service. You can also find us on YouTube now if you go there. Uh, but we are honestly everywhere. And tell your friends, uh, share us around, leave leave comments, leave reviews. It really helps us kind of spread the word about the show and uh, enlarge the audience and get even more cool interactions and messages from listeners. Um, Sammy, what are you going to be driving next week? Nothing. I'm going to be talking more news and more features. All right. I am going to be talking about the Acura Integra Type S, which I am currently driving through massive amounts of snow, which is Excellent. an interesting interesting experience. I, I really liked the 
normal Integra that I drove, normal in quotation marks, I guess. A spec? Uh, yeah, I think it was A spec, C spec, some spec. I can't remember exactly. It had a sweet transmission. So uh, trying out the Type S has been a long time coming, and I have a lot to say about it. Very cool. I can't wait. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye. Bye.